0: The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome to
1: another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I am joined as always by my co-host up in Philadelphia, Christopher Smalls Angelos. And Smalls, I don't want to brag, finished a half marathon this weekend. So I don't know who worked harder. All the coaches that were out at Pit Jam Fest, they were in Atlanta. They were watching basketball all day, 12 hours a day, or me, who ran 13.1 miles.
0: I'll, t- I'll tell you what. All the coaches at Pit Fest, they heard about you running your half marathon. First off, they were impressed, and then they were like, I'm excited to listen to what Tyler has to say on the introduction of this podcast. It's an impressive feat, let's be honest, and you worked super hard. So I want to hear your review of the marathon, of the half marathon, and what you kind of did before and after.
1: Well, I would say one thing that I'm striving for in my life is I want to get to be famous enough that somebody could have gone on BovadaSportsBook.com and bet on my over-under time. Because I said the whole time, Smalls, so I, I was trying to do it in two hours and ten minutes, so that would have been ten-minute miles. Yeah. So if you were able to go on Bovada and maybe place a small wager, throw some discs on it, if you will – you would have won if you bet under. I got two, two, two hours and six minutes and two seconds. So we made that. We, we accomplished that goal. We did have a, you know, a little tiny bit of walking. Maybe I only ran 12.8 miles. It was okay. tough. Yeah, yeah, I went out way too fast. But honestly, really good experience. Sense of accomplishment, Smalls. You know, I've told you how much I hate running, and it's just like the worst thing ever. When you cross that finish line and all these people are cheering for you, they don't they don't give a shit who you are. They're just happy for you. I got my picture taken, got my complimentary medal. I mean, it was tremendous. Got a banana, got some chocolate milk, got some Gatorade, <laughs> like a small child. It was it was a good experience. That's awesome. Bunch of people cheering for you as you're running. There was bands every mile. I listened, I listened to a podcast, you know, try to really get my knowledge up. But uh, yeah, it was a good experience. It really was. And I've been, I told you before we started recording, I'm as sore as I've ever been. I mean, honestly, like I woke up on Sunday and I felt like my knees were just on fire. And I was like, I can't be this old. This is it's bad. It was bad.
0: I'm, I'm proud of you, buddy. And it was awesome. I just buddied you. So like, that's like what you did to your little kid, even though you're older, I'm going to say, I'm very proud of you sport. And, uh, what, what did you eat the night before? I'm always curious. I always, you know, remember growing up, eat some pasta, get some energy. Is that what you did?
1: So the white, yeah. So, uh, Beth made me a, uh, a kale and uh pasta bake, you know, we oh, used yeah. whole wheat, we used whole wheat noodles. So
0: smart, smart.
1: Yeah. So it was good. Uh, and then, in the morning when I got up, I made sure I had I had a couple pieces of toast and then I had some scrambled eggs didn't have any like salt or pepper and no butter or anything like that and then, right before, as I was in my corral, I was corral number eleven, had a little banana, you know hit up the porta potty i also had
0: don't want to get cramps. No.
1: And then I had a fanny pack, you know, not a big deal. There there I don't think there's a picture of me actually wearing it. <laughs> I had my headband on to keep my headphones in. So I was headband headband guy, accessory guy, if you will. Yeah. Over under on bovada for accessories was 1.5. Shattered that by having two accessories. Fanny pack. Because you know, smalls, I needed this I needed like nipple cream. I needed some <laughs> paper towels in case like I had to go to the bathroom. You know, I had my, I had my headphones, I had my cell phone just in case I had my wallet and my ID in case I needed to, not my wallet, I had my credit card in case I needed to stop and like buy a beer. (laughs) Didn't didn't have to do it. No big deal. But yeah, so wore some accessories, just, you know, had to take care of business. But, uh, and then when I got, when I finished, I grabbed it, immediately got chocolate milk, immediately got another banana, immediately got, they had some like weird chips. I had some mandarin oranges, like a small child, didn't even use the spoon, just took them right to the face. And then, uh, yeah, then went and had some adult beverages. Would have been a really good day to do a city review, Mostly We went to about five different places. Oh, my God.
0: That would have been a great city review. And I was actually at a place that we had a bunch of city reviews for. I was in Pittsburgh this weekend for Hoop Group's Pit Jam Fest. Got to meet a lot of coaches. Like I mentioned earlier, they were talking about you mostly. They're asking, how is Tyler doing? Is he alive? Did he finish the marathon? I saw your tweet, but is he alive? That was really the buzz. It wasn't about the
2: kids. It was I went to them.
0: bed.
1: I went to bed at 8.30 on Saturday night. Literally eight eight 8.35 sitting in bed, like just snoozing away. Couldn't couldn't stay awake.
0: That's great. That's great. But, you know, we got a chance. I got a chance to actually meet who I haven't formally met, or maybe we've crossed paths, but we haven't had a conversation. I got to meet former guests, but actually the current guest of this week is uh, Coach Matt Goldsmith of TCNJ. And I got to meet him and we had a great conversation. We were talking about, you know, everything that was on his whiteboard, you know, I tried to cover, uh, but that would have taken two days. So we didn't. Uh, but Matt was an awesome guest. We had a lot of fun and I really enjoyed the interview. And I know you got a chance to edit and cut it up. What did you kind of think of uh, rewinding the tape?
1: One of the, one of the things that's really fun about uh, the show is when we kind of get a guest who just sort of jives with us like right away. Mm-hmm. and knows what we're about and kind of has understood. They listen to some episodes and they, they kind of just end up as a, the type of dude that, like you said, like we go get beers with and it would be totally fine. And I felt like Matt was like that. But I, I honestly thought uh, his ability to like kind of reflect on coming off what he would, I think he would say, and I don't remember exactly if he says this in the show, but they went 13 and 13 this year, nine and nine in the end, Jack. And I think this was the most disappointing year he's had. This was his fourth year as a head coach. And one of the things I thought was really interesting was instead of being like kind of down about it, you could tell he was down about it. He was disappointed. Some different things went against him. But he was so fired up to get back in the gym and kind of figure it out, work with his assistants and see what was next. And we'll tweet out a picture of the whiteboard. I'll make sure it's okay with him to tweet it out because there's a lot of secrets on that whiteboard, I'm sure. (laughs) But it's unbelievable. First of all, somebody he filled every inch of the whiteboard. It was great. And we joked that he did it before the show. So it looked like he was knowing what he was doing. But it also felt like he had spent a lot of time paying attention to kind of the things that didn't go right and working hard to make sure that next year when October 15th or November 1st rolls around, that he's ready to go. And I I, I thought that was awesome. I I really thought his ability to reflect on what he didn't do well. And he talked a little bit smalls about not being simple enough and trying to get back to what they really did. That was really interesting to hear because you don't hear that a lot from coaches because you don't always get that level of like, I don't know, like that level of uh, that ability to tinker with your, with your uh, tactics, if you will.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, pressure has a different meaning at different levels. We kind of got into that a little bit. Maybe it was off air. Maybe it was on air. I can't really remember, but it kind of goes with the theme with Matt. Um, At the division three, division two level, it stinks to lose. And you know that, you know, you might've had a down year, but you aren't necessarily feeling like, my job's completely on the line. You get a chance to really reflect and maybe institute and implement new items into your team and really try to correct those mistakes. Whereas, you know, division one, you might have a down year and you're like, I got one year left on my contract. I got to bring in dudes and sacrifice a lot of the kids I recruit. I got to over recruit. I got to get this and we got to make these moves. And it's winner winner go home essentially for you as a coach. So pressure takes on a totally different meaning. I really appreciate that. And It allows you to have that positive attitude with your team and say, hey, I just want to I want to try different things this year. Maybe look at different stats and how we can improve in different analytics. I also to that point, I read a great quote uh, by you know I think everyone saw it. It was on Twitter all over the place. Was Damian Lillard. Uh, talking about pressure. Everyone should check that out. Don't really have it, but uh, I think pressure takes on a lot of different meanings for different people. And uh, that was interesting about this interview for me. I did like that part about it, Smalls.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. That was on the air. It's a little bit later on in the interview. We we ended up going, I want to say like the actual total time of the episode is right about 90 minutes. I think the actual interview portion before we got to segments was right around 60 minutes because I there were a couple things that I, I just didn't want to let go. Because when we started kind of getting into a real conversation, you know we yeah. try to get into segments and keep everything as as close as we can to you know the typical format, but when you end up in a conversation with somebody and you feel like it's really useful for people who might listen, you don't want to get away from that and what you said small's about the pressure i I thought it was interesting he said you get an opportunity sometimes at division three level to become a better
0: coach and, and to correct yeah, things exactly you don't get that a lot of pl- i was it was funny and not to interrupt you, I was talking with. I forget who it was, and oh, you got uh, a name drop. We're name dropping. It might have been, I don't know, but no, we were talking about the the Landry podcast. A lot of coaches, by the way, it was pretty cool to hear. They were like, "Yo, we listen to your podcast on the way." Like whether they're bullshitting me or not, it was cool. <laughs> and yeah, what's, they, what do you think the actual on Bovada, What do you think the over under of bullshitters to actual? List- oh man, <laughs> I mean, it's I, I, the odds are are stacked against us. I'll tell you that much. The numbers <laughs> indicated different thing. no. Nah. It was great, and but we i I remember saying landry, you know, Landry's episode kind of jumped out to me with that notion. Landry might have not had the success he wanted to have in his first three years, but he was building towards something. He didn't have to speed up his process. Division one, and I'm not saying all d one high level d two there's d three jobs that have that pressure where you have to speed up your process or do something that not necessarily you want to do at that point in time, because you have to think about your job. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Landry, and I, I think that was kind of cool, how we connected all that towards the podcast and thinking about Matt's interview was the same. But I apologize for cutting you off. Mount Times are going to cut you off in this interview. is probably a Bovada uh, line in itself. Over under seven and a half. You can take it live right now at Bovada.com. <laughs> well, i
1: I actually think... The the thing about that, though, where you say, like, you don't have to speed up your process, like, that's one of the most interesting parts about this, because everybody has a little bit of a different process. But I, I thought with Matt, like TC and Jay is, you know, the NJAC, you don't necessarily think like you can win a national title. And Matt comes from Williams and, you know, he's roommates with Kevin Hopkins to talk about that a little bit. But I mean, he, he mentioned talking to his guys, we talked about this right at the end of the interview, but he mentioned talking with his guys about like how they saw Ramapo go to the final four. And when you see that happen, you kind of believe like, oh crap, like we can do this too. And so just what you get to see and you get a chance to build with like your sophomores, your juniors, your seniors, it's an opportunity to really instill. And I don't want to use culture because like our guy Jordan Sperber keeps putting out these videos of coaches just saying things like we want to play fast and we want to improve the culture. But with Matt, it was interesting to say like, because it's, you know, I don't know, like you take the job at TC and you're like, I'm going to build this into a national championship program. And Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But, like, I don't know if Landry thought that, like, Swarthmore was going to be national runner-up in his seventh year. But the bottom line is, like, you can do it. You see teams in your league do it. You get better. You get those opportunities. And so, like, that part of the – you know, we've kind of had a little run on D3 guys of late, especially and, – and good quality D3 coaches who come from, you know, with good mentors and, and come from great coaching backgrounds. And, and we're starting to see a little bit about what makes a good D3 program really successful, you know, whether it's Justin Scott, whether it's – Matt Goldsmith, whether it's Kevin Hopkins, whether it's Landry, whether it's Josh Leffler, you know, whether it's Dan Burke, that's a D2 program, but like those guys at the smaller college level, we're starting to see like what makes those programs really tick. And I think part of it is the expectations are a little bit different and you get a chance to really find yourself as a coach. You really, really do before somebody comes in and says, if you don't win 25 games in your third year, you're fired.
0: I mean, I totally agree. I think you can draw themes from uh, not necessarily just our podcast, but you know, listening to other coaches in that small college realm that if I look if I right if I reflect back on Justin Scott and then I take Matt Goldsmith and Landry, those are three different philosophies, offenses maybe different ways of doing things. But one thing that's very common of those three people that we know of, not just from the on-air stuff, but off-air talking to these guys, is they stuck with what they wanted to do with a plan that wasn't overnight. Exactly, It was three years, five years, seven. There was a plan to build, and they were able to stick with that. So that's a common theme at the small college level. Kind of makes me think if I'm an athletic director at – low division one, mid division one. And I'm thinking about my job, maybe the patience level and communicating that patience with my head coach being like, we trust your plan that I hired you for. And we know it might take six, seven years, but we trust that plan and giving them still having the pressure on them, but giving them more lead way to see that plan through that might turn a little more success than we see right now, which is trending three years. Got to get rid of my coach four years which I get ADs are like, I'm looking for my job. But sometimes you got to have a little faith and confidence in what you hire as an athletic director. And I know that's a little off topic, but that's more of what we're seeing and uh, more of the common themes that you spoke on. I'm not going to lie to you, Smalls. I'm going to pull that one
1: for for a little social media clip because that's a good rant. That's a good rant. You're fired
0: up. You're fired up on this. I mean, I I had a little late coffee. You can hear my voice is kind of jumping and going. I'm like a, I'm like a bunny rabbit, Jack rabbit, you know, kind of on a hole. I'm like kind of going and going and going, but it's kind of what I'm feeling right now. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. I lost a lot of cash this weekend. It wasn't to Pittsburgh casinos. It wasn't to the hoop group event. It was actually because, you know, my Sixers took a little loss. Daddy had a little money on Bovada and then the Spurs, uh, Interesting end to the game there. Uh, Didn't help me either. Uh, That was tough. And, uh, you know, Ovada Ovada won this weekend. But tonight, when the Sixers play, I guarantee I'll take it back. Uh,
1: A little bit of longer interview, like I said. This this one, you know, sometimes I just don't want to cut conversations off and Smalls is the same way. So bear with us on this one. It it runs about an hour and 40. uh, You know, once the intro ends, it runs about an hour and 20 minutes. But really, really good stuff in there, especially for young coaches. Unbelievable story about... What what Coach Hickson at Amherst said to Matt when he said he was interviewing for J. one of my favorite things that he's been said. But as always, if you like what you hear, please do uh, rate us five stars, subscribe, leave us a rating. If you do that, I'll send you a koozie. Second round of koozies did go out. So pay attention if you've been on the show and you're expecting a koozie uh, or two. I do have to order a couple more as well. So some guys, you guys are on layaway if you were on the show a little bit later. Uh, if you like what you hear, do reach out to us as well. Create Your Shot on Twitter, Create Your Shot pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and create your shot at gmail.com. And as always, I hope everybody had a great single live period in April. Thanks a lot, NCAA. Really, uh, you know, screwed up a lot of different things. But, yeah, story for another day. But as always, thanks for listening. and Enjoy this interview with Matt Goldsmith, the head coach at TCNJ. Welcome on, Matt Goldsmith, head coach of the College of New Jersey. Matt, it's early. It's Easter Sunday. How are you this morning?
2: I'm good. I'm good. This is uh, getting a little work in here uh, with the boys for the podcast on Easter Sunday, but uh, all good. Going to go see the parents later, and uh, nice being back in Jersey to uh, be able to be around the fam. So uh, it's a lovely Sunday. Can't beat it.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, getting into you, you're coming off your fourth season as head coach at TCJ this year, 13 and 13, nine and nine in the NJAC. You know, looking back on your season, you've had about two months to reflect. Uh, next week, obviously, D3s could go out at any time, but next week is the first official like D1 live period. So a lot of big events coming up uh, the weekend of the 26th to the 28th. But what do, how do you feel about this past season? You know, what do you think went right? What do you think went wrong you know, as you kind of look back on it?
2: Yeah, uh, I I think last season, uh, you know, just in all honesty, was pretty disappointing for us. Um, You know, in the middle of January, we were sitting tied for first in the NJAC um, and had just gone on like a five- or six-game win streak, Uh, played well down in Washington and Lee and won their Christmas tournament Um, and just kind of limped in late, Uh, just weren't playing our best ball towards the end. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on um, off the court uh, this year that was tough for us to handle. And I don't think I did a good job handling it. It's just like, you know, one of those classic, um, humbling, you know, I am still a young coach. So like I'm learning every year. And, uh, this year was definitely one of those learning years on how to handle some things. Uh, and looking back, I would have done a few things differently, but yeah, we're disappointed. We're looking forward to next year. And, uh, the guys are already super excited about getting in the gym and, uh, getting their extra work in and all that stuff, off-season stuff. You know, they do all that on their own in D three, obviously. So um, we're excited. You know, they're all ready. They're ready to go. Like they want October fifteenth now, which is great for for me to hear.
0: What do you do after a season like this one in terms of you mentioned? There's some things you may have wanted to do differently or want to do differently. Fourth season, going into another one. How do you kind of reset yourself and then make sure you execute on those? you know, items that you want to accomplish and want to do so you guys have a successful season next year?
2: Yeah, totally. It's a great question. I think, um, you know, after every season, you kind of do a reflection. Like, I I like to sit down and write uh, for a couple days, like a big Google Doc. Uh, It's actually at, like, 22 pages, single space right now single space
0: note no uh after the period you're not double spacing you're not going to space bars T- times new roman 10 font yeah
2: <laughs> um and it's uh you know you you reflect for a while and you, and you kind of you read you 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 watch back a bunch of your games um you look through like my practice plans uh what we were stressing what we weren't um and then kind of look through like I, I, I sometimes get into like the nitty gritty of the stat stuff too, like going to our synergy numbers and really getting it, digging in there and saying, like, all right, on our practice plans, we weren't really focused on this and it was showing up in our synergy numbers. We, our ball screen coverage was whatever, stuff like that. Is
0: that something you incorporate now for next year? You're like, I'm bringing up certain synergy numbers, you know, uh, more daily or more in my routine, in my process. So we do, in case we are missing another something that, I don't let it go by in the practice, plan. it's going to get inserted right away.
2: Totally. It's a, uh, it's a challenge. Like I, we, we look at that stuff all year, but it's also tough cause you're, you know, as like stats wise, your, your numbers are so limited. It's 30, 25 games, right? So yeah. like, can you really get a good look at these stats? Not, you know, the end of the season? Yes. But when you're 10 games in, like they could be super skewed, like maybe you're doing a great job, but teams are making tons of contested threes against you early. You know, like our, our numbers early this year were horrendous. It was our worst defensive numbers by far. But part of that was we started off with a brutal schedule. You know, we opened up with SWAT. We played Scranton. They were undefeated at the time. Um, you know, we, we were just playing really tough teams, and we were defending relatively well. But our numbers – stunk on synergy and then by the end of the season they came back to what you know like they they regressed back to the average to the mean there so you gotta I look at it for sure and I think that the best way for us to do it this year especially was like you look at it at the end of the year and then you can kind of go through your practice plans and and your prep work and say oh man like we were guarding but you know this year we did drop coverage instead of like a hard hedge um and I think it helped us in a lot of ways, but I also think it made us less aggressive um, defensively. We just like our ball pressure wasn't as good. So those are things that I want to look at. And I think, uh, you know, one-on-one we might be a better defensive team if we adjust just that. Cause, cause we'll get a little bit more in a guy and um, our mindset defensively will be a little bit more aggressive, which I think would have benefited us this year. So, Sometimes you, you have these great ideas. You're like, Oh, man, drop coverage. This is awesome. Like we're going to stay out of rotations. Not, you know, nobody's going to bang threes on us, whatever. And then suddenly you do it and you're like, Oh, I didn't realize that that was going to affect this part of the game or this part of the defense or whatever. Uh, so again, it's just like new stuff and um, you'll learn. And when you get all those numbers done after the year and you look through them, like I really like looking at them and then applying into next year. That's the key though. Like, this spring i have all these ideas or things we can adjust and it's like well which ones should we whittle down to apply next year which ones should we throw out which are terrible which ones are you going to try in the fall and then they're going to stink and you're going to adjust a week or two into practice um so i I like to use the 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 synergy numbers for sure in season you got to take them with a grain of salt but at the end of the year when you have a bigger subset of numbers i think um you can really use it and, and try to plan properly for next year.
1: Matt, how do you decide as a Division three coach who doesn't get to work with his team in the offseason, how do you decide like, okay, this is what I think I want to do and then implement it in a short period of time before the season starts? Because then once the season starts, like once October 15th goes, ball starts rolling downhill, you start playing games, how, how do you decide like, oh shit, is this a small sample size or is this truly not working? Because you, I mean, I'm sure you know your personnel, but it's a little bit tough when you don't get you know, eight weeks over the summer. You don't start October 1st. You don't get a bunch of individuals. What What's the plan for you and, and your assistant, you know, Evan, who's been with you now? I, I believe this will be his fourth year too. But, you know, how do you guys decide, like, this is what we're doing and now we've got to put it in, in in three weeks and then decide, hey, is this going to work or is this not going to work?
2: Totally. Uh It's tough. I mean, you, we, you really got to whittle it down and, like, toss out more than you think uh going in. Like, another thing... We tried to do um, a different type of secondary break this year. We were doing some pistol action, and it worked really, really well early. Like our Swarthmore game, that was a big reason why we stayed in the game is because they had a scout on all our stuff from last year. They were super well-prepared. That's why they're a great program. Uh, but they had never seen us run this pistol stuff. So suddenly we start going to pistol action in the second half, and we're scoring uh, you know, tons of buckets in a row. Um, long-term, I think it screwed up our spacing. It didn't mesh as well as I wanted to with our classic motion type action we run. It's like a, we typically run a, a four out one in like Princeton hybrid with some ball screen stuff. And, um, the pistol stuff got our bigs out of the middle a little too much. So we weren't in that base set. So long-term it didn't work. And And by the second half of the season, pistol basically became a half court set. And we never ran it in secondary. But that took me a little time to address. Like, I really wanted to stick with it. Like, we got to stick with it. They're going to get used to it. We'll figure out the spacing. You know, we had pick and pop fives this year. So getting the five out on the naked wing was a good thing for us. But if he didn't shoot it or rip a drive right away.
1: Well, then what do you, well, then what's going to happen? Like what's the next action? Yeah, exactly.
2: It's like, all right, kick it back out to the guard. Let's run a, a, like a quick hitter. Cause like our, our spacing was all uh, funky. So, um, you know, those little things like that this year made, you know, in the offseason, it's just, you, you think a lot more about the simple stuff and like sprinting into space, like, our first year might have been one of my best years of secondary stuff, and all we did was tell our guys to go corner, fill corners, one slot, and a rim runner. And we, we just kind of played, like, principles out of that. But uh, because we would do it so well and our habits were to go all the way to the corners and get that spacing going, um, we, we scored a ton in, in transition, whereas this year we try to do this, you know, advanced whatever. And, and it backfired long term for sure. I mean, our, our numbers just weren't as good.
1: Do you feel like, you know, you you had a lot of success? I mean, you're right out the gate your first year. You have a really good year. You go to the NJAC finals. Then two straight years, you get to the semifinals. I, I think both those years, 14 and four in the league. Do you feel like this year has been different for you in the offseason? Like, can you feel yourself like thinking more? Or do you feel like, I, I don't know, what's the balance between like, hey, should we be more simple? Did I try to do too much? Do I need to do more? What What's the balance when you come off a season where you're 500 in league after having... You know, three years of a ton of success, like success TC and Jay hadn't had in twenty years, basically.
2: Yeah, Um, no, that's a great question. I think you know it's unfortunate, but you have a season like that, and it's like you're. I'm so much more fired up for next year, and like watching so much more film and digging into all our stuff, and um, you know, again, just something to, great to learn. Like earlier in your career is like you just can't rest on your laurels, and and don't try to outcomplicate things like um, I have this quote on the boards behind me that it's, um, you know, create the illusion of complexity. And so we're, we're trying to make our stuff look complex, but really in the end, it's like, we try to be super simple with everything we run. And last year I didn't create the illusion. I I was too complex. Like it was just too much. And, you know, working at a high academic school and you can get, you know, a little more advanced with these kids. Like Scout to scout or game to game, throwing in adjustments, doing a different type of coverage or this or that, switching differently. But at the same time, you have to always have something to fall back on. And I think we just got a little bit too ahead of ourselves, especially early. Um, You know, we came out of the gates five and five, and like we lost two of those games in overtime. One was at Scranton, where we're up um, one on the line under a minute and end up losing. We go over two from the line. Lose, lose, uh, lose to them up, but their place—they were undefeated at the time. Um, and you know, when you go through games like that, it's one possession. And if you if you if you don't do those silly mistakes of trying to run this advanced stuff or, like you think you're the next Brad Stevens and you're writing up this awesome baseline out out of the timeout, it's like, dude, just run to the four plays that you guys have already. You don't need to do these like special things if you execute them right. That's why you have them. If you run them right, you're going to get a good look from it. So, again, just, like, simplifying and, and not trying to do too, too much, especially early, um, is something we're going to try to focus on next
1: year. I'm going to have to screen grab the whiteboard behind you, and it actually just went away as I started yeah. talking because of the way that Zoom is. But, one, there's it's totally filled. I don't know if he got up this morning at 5 a.m. Smalls. Yeah, no, he did. <laughs> he did.
0: But he went in there. He went in there. He he literally Googled plays to put on a whiteboard quotes <laughs> and just filled up that whiteboard. But it does
1: it does seem like the quotes on there, it's like, do less, but better. Like, stay positive. Keep it simple. It, it does feel like that's a big theme of what your offseason is right now, Matt. I mean, it, it, you know, we've been talking for about 15 minutes now, and it feels like you're thinking like, hey, I don't need to throw this quite as much. Like, let's be good at what we do. Let's be great at it, right?
2: Yeah, totally. It's like... So, you know, we do um, some classic, like, split stuff. So, like, you know, the run at screens where two guys are running at each other and they can read it. And it's like, instead of trying to put in a double stagger or screen for screener, why don't we just get into that run at split action in different ways? So, like, on the outside, a scout looks like it's a completely new play. But we're really running the exact same action, and we're going to be really great at that action. We're just going to run it in the corner, on the wing with a strong side with a weak side. So the reads are a little different, but you can go play three on three in that run at action, you know, for 20 minutes a day and just get really, really good at reading it and trying to feel uh, when to go back door, when to use the screen, when to pop and and talk through that stuff. And, And rather than put in all these other actions to guard, you just get really good at that stuff. Now that for me, as a coach, like if I'm scouting a team like that, okay, well now that for two days straight, all we're doing is guarding that action, right? In practice. So it comes with some good things and some bad, but I think if you can really, you know, I always have this debate with guys too, of like the teams that run like three different defenses. Um, I don't, I think sometimes that hurts your identity. Like if you're a team that's all man to man and that's what you do, you have this identity. This is you. This is our, this is our group versus your team that you go into every game. You're like, well, in order to beat these guys, in order to play against this team, we got to go zone or we got to throw in a one, three, one, because they have whatever, too much size or length or this, but they can't shoot or whatever it is. And I think that, um, I don't know. I think it's important to have that identity. I think about that a lot Uh, offensively and defensively. It's like, this is TCNJ basketball. This is what we do. And we're great at these things.
1: It's like, what What do teams say about you when they're scouting? Like, what do they say? And I, I mean, I remember the one thing that sticks out in my mind is like when, when we were at Temple and we were going to the American Conference, once it got announced, we played Richmond my last year as a GA in the A-10. And I remember after the game, like we won the game and Dump was like, man, I'm so glad we never have to play Richmond again because it's so hard to prepare for like, their Princeton action, their little two, three matchup. It's just like, it throws your entire week out of whack because you're playing another game afterwards. And it's like, well, what do we do? Cause you're scouting one team. And it's, I I kind of agree with that. I am curious about one thing. We mentioned your first year and, and how good you were right away. Do you feel like you were less focused on basketball and X's and O's your first year as a young coach? And so like, you kind of came in and there's so many different things to do with a new program. Do you feel like that was part of it where, you kind of got away, not necessarily got away from it. And I don't mean this to be critical, Matt. I'm just curious. Like you come in from Amherst, tons and tons of success. You get to TC and it's like, shit, I'm running my own program. Do you feel like maybe there was a different balance your first year?
2: hundred percent. No, that's it. I said, I don't worry. You can be as critical as you want. I don't mind at all. It, a hundred percent. I think that coming in, you know, we talked about this. Evan and I were talking about this the other day in the office It's like our first year, We drilled certain movements so hard and so consistently. And we weren't – like, we're more talented now. I think even the guys on the team would say that that we're on that first team. We're more talented now, but we were so disciplined in what we did that year. And I also think a piece of it was it was new. Like, we come in and we're running, you know, this – Princeton action and slowing the game down and playing pack line and everyone else in our conference is press, high pressure, blitz ball screens, um, you know, dribble drive action. And we come in and we're like zipping the ball around, hitting a back door, like a down the line three, uh, and doing some different things. And I think a, a big reason for our success that first year was that it was new. Guys weren't ready for it. We were a different scout. And I think we've had to adjust since then because more and more teams in our league are starting to do some of the actions we've done. Like we don't really ever get blitzed anymore because when you bring two to our, our, our ball, we were going to, we were going to light you up on the backside, either going to hit a step up or or a, a shake pass or whatever. And teams just don't really do that anymore. So we don't get that shot, which used to be our bread and butter. We, you know, our first year we would get, you know, shake pass after shake pass. And now, not so much we have to adjust and, and read it and do do a little different different stuff so I think it was a little both I think we were definitely simpler back then and that's like that's that's the big th- theory, uh, uh theme of this offseason is like keep it simple like don't try to over complicate things just be really great at these like if you're great at certain plays and can read them well certain and have these principles like No matter how someone's guards you, you're going to get a great look. You'll
1: be all right. Yeah. It's like everybody knows. It's like Virginia. Like everybody knows exactly what Virginia's offense is. Like it's the same shit for 30 seconds over and over and over again. And they get good shots like 85% of the time because they run their offense. They just keep their little motion going. And it's like, and mover blocker. And it's like, you just don't guard it. You get frustrated and they get open looks. It's boring, but it works. Guys, we got to take a quick break. America's pastime is back. The smell of the grass, the crack of the bat, and now that sensation of money burning a hole into your pocket. Yahoo Daily Fantasy contests bring you closer than ever to the game you love. Yahoo Daily Fantasy offers single-day and week-long contests so you can pick a new team every day. To go get started, go to yahoo.com backslash daily fantasy and find a contest that's right for you. Try a 50-50 contest where the top 50% of lineups wins. Or you can try Yahoo's innovative quick match feature – where they'll pair you with another player of your skill level. You can play quick match for free or for cash, but the best part is there's no management fee. You will keep 100% of your winnings. Or play for larger prizes and bigger bragging rights in a guaranteed prize pool contest. Yahoo DFS has the lowest management fees across the industry. Don't play with the other sites that charge high fees just to play. Yahoo's lower fees means more prizes for you, the players, to win. So use the promo code POD25, that's pod 25 for $25 in free play when you make your first deposit. The sooner you get to playing, the sooner you can get to winning. Go to yahoo.com backslash
0: daily fantasy to start playing today. And now, back to Matt Goldsmith. Yeah, Matt, not sure if you know this, but uh, you went to Amherst. So uh, you (laughs) played in Amherst with Kevin Hopkins. (laughs) Such a dick. (laughs) (laughs) What a title. Uh, And then you played in Germany. Did you always know you kind of wanted to get into coaching? Because I can hear it like you're a basketball junkie. Like, has that always been a part of your kind of fabric? And when did you know, I'm going to jump into this thing full-time coaching?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So, like, coming up, um, you know, I was fortunate, you know, growing up, I I went to a private school in North Jersey. You know, basically all my former classmates from high school and a lot of Amherst guys, obviously, are, like, making millions of dollars on on Wall Street, yes. right? And Well, well
0: kinda- this is where we can bond, my friend. This is where <laughs> we can bond. All it's my Mostly the same way. Mostly <laughs> the same way. Public school guy here. Not a lot of
2: not
1: a lot of millionaires from my graduating class. Not yet at least,
2: but it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be the first. <sighs> yeah, perfect. Um so coming up like I don't know, that was kind of expected, right? It's like you're just expected to go get a place in Manhattan and work for a big hedge fund or whatever. And, and try to make your money that way. Or, um, you know, it's just expected to go into certain fields. And, um, so my, between my fresh, no, I caddied then between my sophomore and junior year, I worked at, um, a hedge fund and it was miserable. I I was like, I was sitting down in a chair old, like all day. I was working on spreadsheets. I just, it's not for me. I, I just couldn't do it and um I come back um that next year I have a pretty good year and I still am kind of debating like should I go into the business side of sports or what and my junior year um fall I actually um like if you guys remember the the Kevin Ware injury Paul George oh so I uh about two weeks before the season started, we were in Michigan with one of our, one of my roommates. We were in Ann Arbor for the weekend, and we were playing pickup out there. And I I did the the Kevin where I snapped my leg in uh, my shin, uh, just like exploded my shin bone essentially. Uh, got surgery out there. I was out that whole year, so that was the year we won the national championship. I actually played like two minutes that entire year. I was the sixth man as a, as a sophomore. Basically played two minutes for the entire season as a as a junior and then came back as a senior, kind of still hobbled a little bit from that injury. But that was when I decided, like, I had to be around basketball is because it was taken away and I, it was it was just a brutal year for me. And I was much more of like a cheerleader coach type guy that season
1: Matt what's it like at a d3 school to be out for the entire year especially with rehab and stuff like that like were you trapped? were you going on every trip and stuff still did you feel absolutely like part of the team because I've heard people talk about like getting depressed when they can't play and when they're not around all the time they don't get to practice
2: totally um no I, I was my, my I was really fortunate my roommates K-Hop's one of them uh the kid Andrew Olson works for the Cavs and then two other guys, um, Brandon Jones and Fletcher Walters. Our our class was super close knit. And, um, I definitely went through some of that, that year for sure. Like I, I, it was a dark place. I was in a wheelchair for six weeks and like Amherst is a hilly campus. Like you can't even like, I couldn't get anywhere without my, my boys helping me out. So, um, I was really fortunate in that they took me, uh, they would like wheel me to practice and like, I would hang out in the gym. Um, and then, when I started being able to walk again, I would go do my physical therapy during practice. So I would come in; they would start. I'd go do physical therapy, and then I'd go back. I don't think I traveled in the first semester much. Um, I didn't do overnights. No, that's not because we don't have overnights in the first semester. I traveled everything. So I was in the bus. I was just uh, you know in like a shirt and tie on the on the bench or whatever. But. That's important. You know, we had a kid this year who was coming in as like a, what I thought was going to be a high impact freshman. And he had a pretty serious injury before the season started. And if that injury happened to me as a freshman, I don't know what would have happened because you're not integrated into the group yet. I was you know, in a lot of ways it stinks because I was a junior, but in the same time, like I was part of the team. So it was easy to have that support system around me. Whereas if that stuff happens as a freshman, it's tough. If that stuff happens as a senior stuff, obviously, because you're done. But, um, yeah, it was it was tough. I mean, without those guys, like, it was a dark place, man. It's it, going through those injuries and, like, can't sleep. Like, you, like you get all – you prescribe all these painkillers and you have to take them because of your pain. But, you know, that's not putting you in a good state either. You know, you're just, like, so tired and you're not, not hungry. It, it was a tough – it was a tough time.
1: Plus you're in Amherst and it's like 30 below zero and like dark <laughs> at like 4 p.m. during the winter. I mean, I, I'm just saying like we were up in Amherst. We've heard a lot. Like it's like you, you go to school there, or you go to UMass. There's not a whole lot else to really do. I know there's I know it's like a decently big party town when school's in session. But I mean, I just was thinking about that because like we, we you know, you hear a lot about family and like players who play. They all coaches always tell us they were bad players. Right. That's just like a theme of our podcast. Like they tell us like ah, I wasn't very good. My teammates were great. But they always talk about the relationships that they forge with their teammates. And it's interesting, like the year you guys win the national title, which is like the pinnacle as a player, you're in a wheelchair for a large portion of that year, not playing at all. And I I just think like that kind of dynamic from being able to see it from the outside, did you, were you able to take things away from being an observer on a team like that, watching how Coach Hickson coached and, and, you know, because did it slow down for you on the sidelines? Because it's probably what, the first year in your entire life, you hadn't played basketball all through the year.
2: Totally. Yeah. No, it was was a, it was a huge year for my development. I think as like a vocal leader, as well as just watching the game. Um, We were lucky that year. Like they those boys came, that squad came ready to play every single night, just every single night they were ready to go. We had really good seniors that year and our class as juniors had, had played a bunch as, as younger players. Um, And then like, you also, after observing a year like that, you really appreciate it when you see other, you know, other years, or you you look back and you're like, man, that's maybe that's why we we underachieved. There just only did this that those other years is because we just didn't have a group that, you know, came to came together in those bigger moments or had that senior leadership, like in D three especially. You know, you saw it this year in in March Madness. It's like all these one and done schools, all these young like. Then you get into these big moments and it's always the groups with senior leaders. It's always the groups with senior leaders late in the year. And it's like the same thing in the NBA, like young NBA teams don't win.
1: Not yet. They, they always wait. Like it always takes a while to get to the point that you're ready to win.
2: Totally. Totally. And it's, it's because of that stuff. It's like once you've been through it and have that leadership stuff, like that's the most important piece. I think um, that was a big piece to, you know, going back to our squad from this year, that was a big piece we were missing. We had two awesome, awesome leaders two years ago who were um, starters since they were freshmen. Came, I came in when they were sophomores and they they started and played for me at, uh, three straight years, uh, great players, great leaders. And I always think the classes behind that, they don't really understand that as much because they just kind of, rode along and relied on this group in front of them. So they didn't know what it really took. And our seniors this year were great kids. Uh, but I do think that maybe if they had slightly bigger roles at a younger age, it would have helped us a lot this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Uh, Matt. Matt. We always talk, and as young coaches or the young coaches we speak to, it's always uh, you know a thing of, I want to get my own program. I want to become a head coach. But really, when you get down to that decision, it's a massive decision because if you go to the wrong spot or maybe you're just not the right fit for a spot, it can have a huge influence on your career. So what made TCNJ the right job for you to make that leap as a head coach?
2: Yeah, no, it's a it's a great point. I think um I think more and more guys are really starting to think about that stuff. The more guys I talk to in D three, it's like certain jobs. D three especially just and it's not it's not
0: a knock on D three. It's just there's so many there's schools at different ends of, of the spectrum here. There's one over here that's, you know, lacking resources and you've really got to look at that stuff. Some people are just so early to jump the gun, I feel like. So yeah,
2: no, I, I, I completely agree. I think for TCNJ, you know, the things I looked at were the success of the other programs. So like our, uh all our women's sports that that was kind of tricky because all our women's sports do really well. But sometimes you wonder, like, does does the school just have a better draw for women or, or women athletes in, in New Jersey, like more likely to go deep? You know, you, you kind of of course kind of think through it like that. But our baseball team had done well in men's. Our soccer team had had history of success. So, so from the outside, you look, in, you look at the school in that way. You, you say, well, if, if baseball can do it, why can't basketball do it, right? And the, the easiest co- comparison is always football and basketball. Our football team hadn't been doing well, so that was concerning. Um, but you look at it, and then, I, you know, I grew up in Jersey, so coming back to Jersey, I, I had ties. I've always recruited this area. But to be honest, you know, it's funny coming out of Amherst. So I was an assistant up there for three years. My first two years, I was a GA technically. I was still in, in grad school. My my third year, I was the head assistant. And TC and J comes up as a job that opens at the end of that third year. And I'm talking to Coach Hickson about it. And, um, and I say, Coach, like, I think I'm going to apply. I know a few people down there. It's back in Jersey. Like, I think I might have a chance. And. He just kind of looks at me. He's like, "Goldie, you have no shot, but like, good luck." And I was like, "Thanks, coach. Whatever."
0: Um <laughs> The naive but, young coach. I love it. That's. Yeah. It. I mean, so
1: I, like- I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, Matt. Like, even doing the research before, I, I did not. I, I guess I didn't put it together that you had only been an assistant at Amherst for three years. Now I know those three years were like national title, final four, like second round of the NCAA tournament. So yeah. it's not like it wasn't you weren't successful, but I, I guess I just. I don't know. My own bias is maybe I thought you had been there four or five years, so I'm a little, you know, I'm, I'm excited to hear the story that I just cut you off from telling. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> that's what we no, do. totally. I, so I had I had coached high school, like pretty good hoops in baseball, um, for three years, and then I, I was only a college coach for three years uh, before getting this job. So he he's like, "Good luck, like whatever, go for it." So he's like, "I think your resume will get you a phone interview." I said, "Cool, like." He's like, that's a, a great start. You got to get your phone interview to get used to it. So I have my notes. I do the phone interview. Um, I come back in the office afterwards and and he's like, how'd you do? I was like, I think I did pretty well. He's like, listen, this is how it goes. Like your first year when you get interest, all his guys, his first year you get interest, you you get a few phone interviews, you screw it up. And then the next year you'll, you'll get an on campus. That'll be great. So couple of days go by and um, I get called. I get it. I get it on campus at TCNJ. So I go in the office. I'm like, Hicks, I got one. I'm on, I'm going on campus. He's like, this is awesome. Congratulations. He's like, be yourself, be free. You got no chance. I'm like, all right, thanks. So I come down to TCNJ for this interview and like, I had over those three years, I had applied to a couple things, but I hadn't even had an interview for another assistant job let alone a head job, right? So I'm coming in and TCNJ is come down the night before, dinner with the AD, stay overnight, eight hours of interviews the next day, go home. And I'm sitting there like super nervous and I call coach and he's just like, Goldie, you you are literally not gonna get a job. Like just beat yourself, <laughs> it's all good. Like, don't Such worry about it. That's an that.
1: awesome
0: no. way to look at it.
1: Yeah. Like, it's, you have nothing to lose, basically. Like, it's a great – if you don't get it, fine. You weren't supposed to. It's a great learning experience. If you somehow do get it, then, like, who knows who's making the decisions at TC&J, right? That's his thought process, I guess. <laughs>
2: totally. Totally. He's like, you have no chance. This is great experience. Like, this will help you for your next job. So, I go through the, the process and – um and I come home and he's like, how'd you do? I'm like, I don't know. I think I did really well. Like I was really loose. Cause like I just didn't care and I was just talking hoops. And, um, you know, I had a, I had prepared like a, a long coach's packet. So like anything they asked me, I was, I had thought through, which, which helped a ton. I know, okay. I've talked a little bit about that last yeah. week of the packet less so of giving it to somebody, but more so of enforcing yourself to think through building a program. So, um, I was like, I was pretty loose. I think I did well. And uh, two days go by and like I'm in the gym doing like a, a, a lesson to make extra cash. I'm doing like two 12-year-old kids, like we're doing ball handling, and I get a call from a number in Jersey, and I'm like, oh my God. So I run out, I assume I'm just getting the word that I didn't get it. Um and they they, <laughs> she I pick up the phone and the AD at the time, she's she has since left. She, um, she's like, coach, we want to hire you to be our next men's basketball coach. Like, are you interested? And I was so surprised that I sat, I'm sure I sounded like I wasn't. And I was like, uh this is, this is great news. Like I need a day to think about it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And make them wait. Yeah. Totally, take I, just, I was phone, asking, you're like, yeah, go. you're th- I got off the shit. phone. I'm fist pumping. I'm like, this lesson's over. See <laughs> like, we're done. This is uh, free. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, no, you <laughs> can't do you can't do that. Not at the D three level. You can't do that. Yeah, still still have to prorate the Get session.
2: That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, give me half half price. Um, so uh, again, I, I give this. I take the day, and uh, the ad actually calls. Hicks that night and and says like I don't think he's gonna take it. He didn't seem interested. Like blah blah blah. So the next day, she calls back and gives me a higher salary, which was unbelievable. She she thought I was like holding out. So she comes back with a higher salary number, and uh, I'm like, I'm in. Let's go. Like this is perfect. And uh, take the job. So like I I remember after I got the call calling Hicks again, and he's at home doing his, you know whatever having dinner or walking his dog or something. And he, he sees my call. He does not say hello. He just goes, you gotta be shitting me. And I was like, I don't know, coach. I got, I got it. He's like, I can't believe you got this job. I can't believe you got this job.
1: I think it's the Amherst parallels are interesting because I didn't know this at the time. And I think I actually came off sounding like an idiot when we talked to Kevin, but Kevin was saying that like, there are people in the division three level that think like working in Amherst is easy. Like, oh, the program recruits itself. It's a ton of success. When you got to TC and J and now you're recruiting, you know, you're still recruiting your own kind of area where you've recruited for a while. I mean, what were some of the biggest differences right out of the gate? Like, what were the biggest challenges for you? How different was it? Did people think, like, oh, this guy's coming from Amherst. Like, this is going to be a total culture shock for you. And and was it?
2: Yeah. uh, In a lot of ways, it was a little bit of a culture shock. But at the same time, like, people really overestimate certain things. Like, even um, other coaches in our department assumed, um, you know, recruiting at Amherst was – so easy because people just came to you and you didn't really have to get out on the road. And, um, you know, to be honest, when we got here, it was like academically, I had so many more kids I could get in that I was like a kid in a candy store. I was like, wait, we can get these guys this, like, it it was this bigger subset. Now the, the, the funny part, but especially that first year is you're going on the road to all these events and you know, your old, Buddies, other assistants, in the NASCAR or whatever other coaches you're talking, they're like, "Hey, have you adjusted your mindset yet? Have you adjusted like who you're looking at yet?" And every time they they thought I was crazy, which maybe I am, but I was like, "No, why would I?" And they're like, "Well, you can't get the Amherst type kid." I was like, "Well, why do you think we won there?" It's like I still want a six five wing shooter. I gotta find him in a different place. Maybe he can't be playing for like the Middlesex Magic or like the bigger AAU programs, but I still want to go find a kid. He's just going to be in a different spot, but I want that ta- that level of talent. I'm not going to try to lower my level just because I'm at a different school. And I think that's helped us a lot. And it didn't help us last year. We were 13, 13, but I think our talent is there. We just have to figure out those other pieces. And, you know, we now play like three, six, five kids. We play a, a lead guard, three, six, five kids. And an undersized center who can stretch it and rebounds well. But, you know, we're getting bigger and bigger every year. And, you know, again, so many guys, they get that new job and they're – it's almost – I've talked to k a lot about this. Like, you almost over-recruit because your size now is bigger. You can get more kids in. And you're going to all these events, especially like in our area, like right in Jersey. Like I can get to the Elevate, the Coop Group. I can go into Philly, New York. Like it's yeah, so- you're
1: you're in a different like you're in a different spot at TCNJ, and like most of the NJAC, where like there's just I mean thousands of recruitable athletes within two hours of you. You know what I mean? And, and and multiple huge events. Like I'm, I mean, I mean, like you, how far is it to Spooky Nook from you? Like for last weekend, you could go watch. 200 kids on a Saturday and Sunday, if you want to.
2: Yeah. Hour and 40 minutes. There's literally nothing that's over two hours that we ever have to go to. It's awesome. And so we were out on the road constantly and it's like, you almost over recruit. So that was a big, a big difference for sure. And then, you know, a huge adjustment for me was going from a private school to a public school. Um, I did not think that would be like a big adjustment for me, but it's very different you know, working in like the government system. And there's just, well, there's more red tape and there's more like paperwork to be filled out versus at of private school like Amherst. That was a big adjustment for me because, you know, when we wanted to, uh, like in the middle of the season, we're struggling or something, we want to take the boys out for a big group meal or whatever. We can use our fundraise dollars and just kind of like execute it in a heartbeat. But uh, when I got to TCNJ, it's like, if you don't think of that three weeks in advance, fill out the proper paperwork and then like schedule it, you can't do it. So that was a big adjustment for me, just like resource wise and trying to think it uh, in advance like that. Well, I don't know if in three weeks we're going to need a team meal, but Maybe we'll try to schedule one anyway, just in case. In
0: case we're on a losing streak. So we're really thinking
2: positive here. It's like you look at the schedule like ah, We're coming up with some tough ones, boys. Maybe we should look at a meal uh, three Fridays from now. We're going to go
1: to Olive Garden. It's actually unlimited breadsticks and salad right now. So this is great. We'll get a lot of bang for our buck. No free ads.
2: No free ads.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Uh, Before we jump into our next segment, just want to ask one more question. Um, You know, Along the lines of ultimate career goals, obviously you as a head coach, you're focused in being a head coach at TCNJ right now, but how are you goal setting in terms of your career? And how do you kind of uh, view that from your own lens?
2: Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I think you, you'll never have the success you can if you don't just really dig into where you are and what you're doing. Um, but like, you know, I think, I think a lot of guys are lying if they're not telling you they're thinking long-term too. Um, so, you know, we want to do as well as we can. We want to win NJAC championships here. We want to compete at the national stage here. And if we can do that, we'll see what happens. But that's, that's where my head's at is trying to get this group to be a, a program, not just a team that has a couple good years here and there, but a program, a, a, a team that is on that stage and at that level every year consistently. And if you can do that now, you know, who knows what can happen in a career? You know, like, it's crazy now the differences between, like, even smaller leagues. Like, the money in Division One is insane right now. And, like, you got to think, you know, I just got married last summer. It's like now I – my whole mindset has changed. It's like, oh, I got to make sure I have, like, a steady job. You know, it's nice being in D3 because, you know, if you have a couple off years – it's unlikely you're just going to get let go. There are places that do it, and it and it happens. Um, and being at a state school, it's like it's even another level because we're technically in the union here. So, so you, you know, you, your priorities just totally flip. It's like it sounds so silly, but you get married, and you're like, oh, wow, I got to, like, make sure I can take care of my wife. Or like, yeah,
1: you have another person to worry about, and totally. it's like – I do think this has been the, the one of the most like jarring things to me about in the last, I guess we've been doing this podcast now about 18 months, which seems like a long time. But as you talk to certain guys, especially small college coaches who you really understand that like they love hoops just as much as guys at the division one level, like they've grinded it out even more so in a lot of cases. But like there's just a trade-off of like my quality of life is good. I love coaching basketball and I don't have to stand up on the podium and defend going 18 and 13 and losing in the second round of my conference tournament and not making the ncaa tournament like it's it's you know and it doesn't mean your your goals and your like success wants and needs are different it just is like you're able to kind of enjoy coaching basketball without some of the pressure now like you said the financial ceiling is is lower of course but it's also like it's just it's totally like flipped my viewpoint on coaching basketball as like a job and a lifestyle because i'm sure i mean i don't know Matt, like, when you were 21 years old, 22 years old, coming back from Germany, like, did you feel like, man, I want to be a Division One head coach, like, that's, that would be awesome, or I've got to be a Division One head coach, you know? Like, did you ever have kind of that little compartmentalization, I guess?
2: Yeah, totally. I think, like, I, I definitely thought to myself, like, man, it'd be cool to be it, but it was never like, I gotta be it. Like, yeah, you know, I talked to uh, Hicks about this a lot. Coach Hicks, and just, you know, like, he's had so much success there and you know you've seen guys from Williams go take a Patriot League job like you know coach Paulson now uh it, you know has gone up so many levels like doing so well and and coach Hickson had a great record against Paulson for a lot of years and you know Hicks has had those opportunities in the past and we've talked about that a lot he said you know now that the 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 money difference is so extreme he pr- he might think about it a little more but the, the quality of life, like he, he brought his kids to, you know, practice all time. He could go see his kids, you know, like his one son is an Olympic level diver. Like he can go watch that when he needs to, he can, you know, he doesn't have to be at every recruiting event. He can, he plays golf like all the time in the off season. He doesn't have to deal with, you know, he deals with like alums and other people, but he doesn't have to deal with people who are on him when they go, you know, 18 and eight instead of 22 and
1: whatever. It's also, it's also like a situation where, you know, Dave Paulson is one guy to look at, but then like Mike Maker has a ton of success at Williams goes to Marist. It's a tremendously hard job. And people just assume like you got four years at at a school like Marist, a Mac school that like, it's just way different. And all of a sudden, like you just get fired and then bang, you're out of the business. You go from at Williams and it's, you're really, really successful and then you're just done like you're just like now you're fighting and clawing to get back in and it's like well do I get back in at division 1 level so I can get another shot at this and will I ever get another shot and your career is kind of viewed you know people who don't really pay attention kind of view your career as like a failure and it's it's like totally unfair to a guy like that cuz he takes a chance but you get there it just doesn't work out like you said you're almost forced to take a division 1 job whereas like the division 3 maybe you can be a little bit more selective but it's like, you know, that those parts of it, it's like you look at Paulson, it's great. But if they have another bad year at George Mason or another average year, he may get fired, even though we know the guy's a really good basketball coach. It's the 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 whole like dichotomy between like, are you a good coach and are you getting fired? It's like it's so thin. The line is so thin, I think.
2: Yeah, it's uh it's like a, it's it's a scary industry in so many ways because even as an assistant, like you take this. Um, you know, D3 job at a school you think you can win at, but maybe your resources aren't great or something goes wrong or your AD flips over or something, you know, suddenly you just – you're a good coach, but you're handicapped in a lot of ways. You're not going to get a lot of wins, and guys are going to – you know, they look at your resume. They look at the, the games you win. And then, you know, again, for, like – like, Makes is an unbelievable coach. Like, he he was so good at Williams, like, scouting re- their stuff, and, like, he did such good stuff with them – And he goes to Marist and struggles. And it's like, wow, like if he struggles at Marist, like, I don't know. I don't know. It's maybe like a different style of work or whatever. But I know he's an awesome coach. Like if he got any job in D3 right now, they would kill it. But, you know, it's like, which jobs do you take? You can kill your career or you can catapult it if you jump on the right spot that has not had success and you kind of can figure out a way to flip it.
1: Yeah. It's like, I mean, like I, I, just because I live in Nashville, like the Bryce Drew thing just is, is so funny to me. Like he gets three years. You're talking about like NCAA hero, like a guy who was really successful at Valpo. They go, 0 and 18, which is terrible. Don't get me wrong. Like weren't prepared for Darius Garland to get hurt. He has like one conversation with Malcolm Turner as a new AD and then gets fired after three years. And like, sure he gets paid his money and stuff, but it's also like, What's the guy going to do? Like, he's going to be okay. But at lower levels, when that stuff happens, it's like you're fighting and clawing to get another job. Because like you said, it's hard for people to take a year off. Like, it's just hard for you to say, like, well, I don't have seven figures coming to me as a buyout. And so, I I don't know. I, I think a lot of times you tend to view people just as their record. Like, as a fan, you just look and you're like, ah, he stinks. Like, they can't coach or he can't recruit. And you never look behind the curtain at any job and see, like, okay, well, what's really causing the institutional issues because it feels like the athletic director never has to answer for that or we just don't see it as you know from the outside looking in but I think Matt it's interesting for you to say that like now there's real things in your life to think about and like being at a steady job that I love to be at and I get to do what I love maybe is more important than like do I want to take a shot at making you know 500 grand one
2: year totally no it's like I, I came in at TCNJ and the whole uh union thing I was like what is it like this is weird. Like, how does this work? I, I, it was so confusing to me. And, you know, if you really, really kill it, you're not going to get like a big chunk raise or like something like that when you're in a, a state school in a, in a, in a union. But at the same time, you know, you have this steady, um, like, you know, if you don't do well for a couple of years, you're probably going to be, be fine. So now, you know, at first you look at the union, you're like, man, what if I really like, you're this young, like cocky, you know, head coach. And you're like, Oh, I got, you know, if I kill it here, like I can't get the raise I might deserve. But at the same time, then you get married and and you have other things to worry about. And you're like, Oh, this is great. Like I can do my thing here. And if I do well, that's great. I'll be excited. But if I struggle for like, we struggled this year. Like I, and I put that on me for sure. Like I, I should have been better this year. But if I do that a couple of years in a row at a different place, you know, now you lose your job. You're you're moving. You're doing this, whatever.
1: And you get a chance to figure out what went wrong too. That's the other thing. Like so many guys don't get a chance to be like, hey, this is what I did. I, I made a mistake. This is where we made a mistake. This is maybe we recruited a couple guys that didn't fit what we want to do. And now you do get a chance to like own up to that. Like you said, you're excited for next year, not nervous that like if it doesn't work, you're not going to have a job. <laughs> totally. So you get to focus on like the I mean, I hate saying the process because like I do. Just so I, love over- it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But say you get it. to say it. You get to focus on the process. You get That's to trust it. your process. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But it's like that part I think as a coach is very liberating because you get a chance to watch film. You get a chance to look at the numbers, and you're not just like, holy shit, we have to do this hundred and eighty degree turnaround this year. And if we don't, I don't, you know. I mean that that part. And I don't want to beat a dead horse and make the profession sound like a black hole, because it's definitely not, but the differing viewpoints is very interesting for young guys that might listen to something like this
2: totally and I think like if you look at a guy like Chris Beard like I think a lot of the reasons why he's such a good coach is because he could experiment a ton at those lower levels without fear and it's like I often feel so fortunate that we can do stuff like try to run pistol or try drop coverage and it affects our win loss percentage a little bit um but I can make those mistakes and I can learn from them and adjust. Like, it's really nice. It's like, you're in a lab. Like you're, if you're, if you just allow yourself to be free and like try out stuff, you can really hone over the years, like what you're trying to do. And, you know, I know Kay, i talked about it last, last week a little bit, but like coach Hickson, you know, if you look at his record for the first 20 years versus the last 20 years, it's a very different story. And he was fortunate. He was allowed to, Make those mistakes. He was allowed to recruit this kid or that kid, or try to run this or, or or make this adjustment. And now he figured it out, and he's whittled it down to like what he does, what he likes, how the kids he wants, and how to do it. And he still experiments all the time up there, all the time. He's he's a tinkerer. He loves to adjust things uh, year to year in small ways. Um, but it's nice to be able to just like experiment. Like you know, again, you're in a lab. You can do whatever you want. Maybe the, it's going to explode in your face this year. But next year, you can learn from it and adjust.
1: Let's uh, run into coach speak. We'll just do one because Smalls has some sort of Easter gathering later that's going to knock us up against the time limit. But this is from Billy Donovan. I thought this was a pretty interesting quote for some somebody like you, Matt, being part of multiple national championship teams. Obviously, Billy, the head coach at Florida, uh, said in an interview, I believe this was last week, I was depressed. I lost total sight of what it's all about. And I don't mean what it's all about in terms of what goes into winning, but the fact it doesn't change your life one bit other than someone may write next to your name national championship coach. Outside of that, it doesn't change your life. Now, Matt, you were on a team as a player and on a team as an assistant coach that both won national titles. I want to ask, like, what was the difference between those two? And and kind of what did you take away in your different roles from each team?
2: Totally. I, I think as a player, you're just kind of in it. and. You're doing what you can and you're just so excited about, you know, being that last team to cut down a net and the confetti drops and all that stuff. It's just like this excitement versus, you know, as a coach, to be honest, it's like this extreme sense of relief, almost like it happens and you can like relax finally, you know, cause you're just on edge. And, um, you know, I remember talking to coach Hickson, we came home from uh, the, the national championship in in Atlanta and we're taking the bus home. And I was just like, coach, like we did it. Like, how you feeling? Like unbelievable. Like number two. And he's like, Goldie, I am tired. I'm just tired. Like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be with the people tonight. I'm going to see our alums. I'm going to do my thing, but I'm going to sleep well tonight. And I haven't slept well in like a while. And it is so funny. Like I feel really fortunate that we did that when I, earlier in my career because you just chase 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 this thing and then you get to it and you're like well what now
1: do you feel feel like as a young coach it's it's interesting like when you run your own program that you understand when it's okay to have expectations like hey this team we're gonna win a national title because I think a lot of guys come in they're like we're gonna compete for a national title not knowing kind of what it takes and what level your program needs to be about do you think it's helped you set expectations as a younger coach
2: I do. I think, um, it's funny you say that because so like last year, those, um, those two captains, uh, who graduated, I was speaking about earlier. We, at the end of the year, I had, uh, the, the incoming captains and then over for dinner. And I was just kind of having them talk and, uh, give advice to each other. And, and I was talking to them. I said, guys, like four years down, you're captains. You had a great career. Like, is there anything particular you want these guys to know that maybe they, they don't realize before going into it? and You know, this one kid, E.J. Bermudez, who uh, was a great, great captain for us. He said, yeah, I, I would just like to tell you guys, like, you know, Coach Goldsmith always talks about, like, competing on the national stage and, like, being able to compete for national championships. And I always thought it was bull. And I always thought it was just something he said. And I was worried about trying to win an NJAC conference championship. And anything after that would have been icing on the cake. And then he said... But this year we go one and one against Ramapo and they go to the final four and lose in the semis. And I Mm -hmm. and it suddenly hit me like, oh, my God, like you could really do it. You could really do it. And he was like, all I would have to tell you guys is like, believe it's possible. Because for a long time, I think I would say it, but I don't think our guys truly believed it was possible. And if you if you don't have that belief, like it's never going to work for you.
0: Yeah. For sure. And we're going to hop into our next segment really quickly is our city review. Uh, We're going to do Ewing, New Jersey. So what you're doing here, Matt, you know, it. you listen to the podcast a little bit, a little Hopkins action. You're going to take us to Ewing, New Jersey, the best three restaurants that we got to go to. We're coming there for a weekend with you. Restaurants, two bars or, you know, night spots, whatever you like to do. And one activity to do. Take it away.
2: Awesome. Love it. So, uh, you know, being a Jersey guy, uh, breakfast sandwiches are near and dear to my heart. So uh, the first thing we do is get a delicious uh, Taylor Ham, Egg, and Cheese. That's I it. Pissed, That's it. Uh, Taylor Ham, Egg, and Cheese at Franklin Corner Deli uh, on a nice bagel, uh, big, uh, great bagels. It's, it's, a, it's a phenomenal spot. It's, I found it because I was living near it, and now I go back to it, even though it's like 20 minutes out of my way. It's delicious. Are we not going to get into this?
1: Are we not going to get into this Taylor Ham versus pork roll discussion here, Smalls? Where you just like you're just going to let that slide for years? You criticize Taylor Ham. That's
0: not me. That's 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 uh, our buddy from Ocean City, New Jersey. That's really what they say. Hey, (laughs) Taylor Ham, pork roll. I'll eat it all. That's that's (laughs) That's really the same thing.
2: Both parties have an argument. I I get it. It's it's a regional difference. Okay, (laughs) but I'm a Taylor (laughs) (laughs) Ham. That's um,
1: good. That's good.
2: Yeah. So uh, that's a good spot. Uh, my wife and I love this place called Nomad. It's um, There's two of them in the area, actually. It's like a brick, uh, brick oven pizza spot. Um, delicious, really fun, good standard, like margarita pizzas, but also uh, some advanced stuff. Like what's the uh,
0: best and- advanced pizza they got? They got a little prosciutto on a pizza? There you, you go. go. There you go.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. So, uh, we like to get, there's actually this one. It sounds pretty wild. It's, uh, it's a fig prosciutto. Oh yeah. A little goat
0: cheese on it. Yeah, that's actually what I was thinking. Goat cheese. That had to be on there. Goat cheese goes really well with the fig, the sweetness. And then we've got a little goat cheese that really cuts it and elevates the dish.
2: I often, I, you know, I listen to these podcasts and I love what you bring to the table <laughs> when we're talking food. So yes, the goat cheese is involved, the fig, the prosciutto. It's unbelievable. It's delicious. You, you can't beat it. There's a little spinach in there. It does, be, it does beautiful things. Uh, and it's BYOB, so you can't, you, you got to love perfect. it. perfect.
1: Bring, bring yourself a nice little red with that. If it's the winter, maybe white. If it's the summer, get a it chilled. It's yeah. great. Tyler's <laughs> a big wine guy. So yeah.
2: <laughs> totally. Can't beat it. Um. Another good spot, you know, again, Jersey guy, uh, this place, Mama Flores. We use that for a lot of our team meals. It's like a classic Italian spot. But uh, one thing they do really well there, they do a uh, a chicken parm sandwich, but they throw vodka sauce instead of marinara. Oh, really that's a nice touch. the chicken parm. It's delicious.
0: Now, is it like overflowing with vodka sauce? So it's getting on the plate and you're almost giving it like a dip action to it?
2: Oh, when you get down... To the bottom of the bread, you are 100% dipping into the vodka sauce. I (laughs) mean, that
0: is the only move you can do. Like, if there's not enough sauce, going back to my sauce restaurant idea, that's going to be a part of it. That's going to be just a bowl of vodka sauce dip in any sandwich you want. Uh, I digress.
2: Can't beat it. it. Uh, Awesome. And then two bars. The the bar we like to uh, hit up after games as a staff is this place called Wildflower's. Good spot. It's got pizza and uh, like good boneless wings, uh, tons of beer on tap, tons of TV. So we'll, we'll often have there. And then there's another bar um, on Route 1, closer, a little closer to Princeton called Brickhouse Tavern. That's got a uh, fantastic uh, happy hour. So uh, out of season, if you're getting out of the office early, head over to the happy hour. Really good deals on beers and uh, a bunch of their appetizers are half price. Can't beat
0: it. That's awesome. Now we need an activity in Ewing, New Jersey. Uh, I'm excited. The activities are what I look forward to most because, you know, eating, there's always good food everywhere, but it's really the activity that separates you.
2: (laughs) I like that. So I I was trying to think of some here and, you know, you could easily go to a Trenton Thunder game, uh, affiliate of the Yankees. There's tons of really good public golf courses around here if your guys are golfers, but I wanted to think a little outside the box here, and there's this place. Um, so my wife is a big dog person, and we now have a dog. I've been converted. I love, I love, pet owning. Yada yada yada. Now, there's this place called uh, Working Dog Winery that's like 20 minutes away. So it's a winery. You go for a tasting. You do your thing, but you can bring your dog, and it's this huge pen. So. Your dog, it's tons of dogs. They can play while you kind of do your lawn games, you know, get you know, taste a few wines. That's
0: great. And you're throwing a cornhole,
2: doing whatever. And your dogs are just like distracted, hanging out, sprinting around. Great combo on a nice day. Like in the spring, couldn't beat it.
1: That's unbelievable. That, see, that's the stuff we need down here in Nashville. Winery, long games, bring your dog. Yeah, that's who we're looking
0: I'm, for. I'm about to turn my mic off because Tyler's going to talk <laughs> about dogs for 47 minutes. <laughs> Being a pet owner is great. Being
1: a pet owner is great. All right, let's do, uh, let's do Ted touches 30-second rapid fire. We have assuredly never uh, done each question in 30 seconds, so don't feel like you're locked into that time restraint. But I got the first five. Who is the uh, funniest person you've ever worked with or coached?
2: Yeah, so uh, Coach Hickson is pretty hysterical. He's a big prankster. But, uh, again, I want to do a little different uh, knowing that K-Hop was here last week. So uh, Coach Mills, the football coach at Amherst, uh, is hysterical. He is an absolute character. His his phrase that everyone knows him by is crank it. He says it constantly all the time, just crank it about anything. And uh, we used to actually, funny enough, do a podcast, like a preview podcast for every football game. Uh, and me and Coach Mills would get into it. He is a character he, he unbelievable like anybody around Amherst knows coach Mills um, and that he 's uh hysterical so uh, I would definitely say coach Mills
1: all right what's your worst basketball travel experience
2: man there's uh I got plenty of uh options here, but i 'd actually go back to uh, this season our tip off tournament was up in Nazareth, and uh, we get there the night before we practice and Friday game day, uh, overnight Thursday to Friday is like uh, 12 inches of snow, and all we have is our bus. So I send my assistant down to um, to go get our breakfast sandwiches for our, our breakfast before shoot around, and he's going out, and it's it's been a while, and I'm like, what is going on? So I call him, and uh, he picks up right away, and he's like, we got a problem, and as I'm on the phone, just like a classic hotel move, I just kind of like walk over to the window to uh while I'm talking and I look out the window and our bus is uh stuck on the like circle where you you know you go like around uh a roundabout parking lot or whatever and there's the big like middle part with like maybe a tree or whatever and it is full on half the bus is in this ditch stuck. So on the way out to get his breakfast sandwiches, it got stuck. So we're trying to fix it. The bus driver's trying to move it. All that's happening is every time she revs the engine, it gets further into this ditch. So, it's going into the ditch, into the ditch. So, we we call Naz, uh They can't do anything that morning, but we get hotel shuttles. So, we for shoot-around, we do, like, multiple trips, shuttling back and forth with a hotel driver. Yeah, a
1: little, fir- little first bus, second bus action, a little NBA lifestyle.
2: Exactly. And um, – We end up having to get Nazareth guys. They they start they they start sending vans over. So we're getting picked up. We're using the shuttle. It's a two game tournament. So like all day, I'm uh, you know figuring out transportation issues. And the the bus was so bad that they had to bring in these two giant trucks that would lift it via this like pulley system. And when they lifted it, it broke the axle. So our bus was out of commission for all two days. The first time we had a working bus after that morning was when we got picked up from our championship game against Nazareth. We lose in overtime and they come and a new bus finally shows up. So we had it when we got there and then we had it on when we got picked up. But other than that, I was um, calling shuttles. We Ubered to get food a lot. I was just going for, you know, hey, take an Uber, go pick up the, the pregame meal, um, you know, problem solving.
0: That is. That's <laughs> what uh what
1: are you currently binge watching now that the season's over?
2: It's a great question. So I'm a big Game of Thrones guy. I'm truly like a nerdy Amherst guy in a lot of ways. So Game of Thrones, huge fan. I also love um, there's this, this show on Amazon Prime called All or Nothing. So there's one about uh, Manchester City, uh, their soccer team, and it follows them. It's kind of like hard knocks, but soccer. And then my favorite one is All or Nothing about the New Zealand All Blacks, the rugby team. Unbelievable. Those guys are just nasty. Nasty dudes.
1: So I watched All or Nothing Man City, and I, the one takeaway I had, and I'm curious to see, like the players were cool. Like it's unbelievable the amount of money they've put into the the soccer team. But like Pep Guardiola, or Guardiola, however you say it, like his energy level was unbelievable. Like he made, like I know people have like problems with him or whatever. I'm not a big soccer guy by any means, but like. I just was like blown away with like his interactions on camera. I thought I was like,
2: I would love to play for this guy. I, I'm obsessed with Pep. That's it's, my guy now. I'm It's, ridiculous. Like, it's I, I watched the Man City documentary and I ordered like 12 books on Amazon about Pep Guardiola. I was like, this guy is a legend. He is so cool. And the way he
1: changes his interactions, whether it's like in a game, like it's in a film session, it's just him talking to his coaches. I was like, I, and, and there's a lot of people that are like, oh, you know, Lionel Messi made him like, you know, Barca, like he's not that good or whatever. Like, but it is – the way he speaks to players, like, if I ever get an opportunity to be a head coach, like, that's how I want to be. Like, I want – and I know you can't fake that. You know, that's just yeah. who he is. Yeah. But I just was blown away. I remember texting one of our friends, TJ, who plays basketball in Germany. I was like, do you know about this guy?
2: Yeah. He's unbelievable. Yo, Pep is a beast. I, honestly, I, I just read this book, The Barcelona Way, that's, like, all about when he took over Barcelona because of that documentary he is uh, i agree with you completely though like i would love to coach exactly like him yeah what uh what's the best game you've ever been a part of yeah so uh again you know i don't want to double dip here so like national championships were great a lot of good stuff we actually when i was a sophomore at amherst we had an unbelievable sweet 16 game so uh, we had played toughs. It was our fourth, uh, third time playing toughs. We're in the sweet 16 at home. We're down four with 26 seconds left. Um, and our, our buddy Andrew Olson, who, uh, is now the Cavs shooting coach, uh, he sprints down, gets a layup, uh, a quick layup, quick two, and then, uh, we foul. They go one for two. So we're down three. So, uh, we come down, we, we draw up this set. And earlier in the year, um, we had lost to Trinity in overtime and Andrew, uh, me and Andrew were roommates and we get back to the room and he kind of looks at me. and he's like, he's like, Goldie, if we are ever in a situation like that, like get me the ball. And he's two time national player of the year after this. So like, I listened to him. He said, get me the ball. I was, he's like, I don't care what we draw up. Like, I want the ball in my hand. So we're in this situation. We draw up a little set. It breaks down. and. Um, I was setting, I was a screener. I I get, I get a kick out and take two dribbles. And like, all I keep thinking about was like, Goldie get me the ball. So I just flip it back to Andrew. He does this wild double pump runner from three bangs it. We go to overtime at the buzzer and he, uh, and we win by five and that was our first year. We got to the final four while we were there as sophomores, but I'll never forget him saying, listen, man, like, Anytime we're in a situation like that, you're going to find me the ball. So, if you go on YouTube, it's called The Shot. They call it The Shot. And uh, the announcer, it's like old grainy D3 footage. The announcer, Olsen with the ball, and then I get the ball. And he just goes blank. And it's like (laughs) – back to Olsen. For three. So I, was the back, I was the blank guy that uh, didn't ever have his name used, but uh, I touched the ball on the play. So that was pretty cool.
1: That's yeah. Pretty cool. Primary assist. There you go. Uh, I'm going to switch this question up because I don't, I don't want to get, uh, you know, you're going to tell me like you, you, you weren't a great player. It's fine. You just, you know, won a national championship. You still have a ring for that. I'm sure. Who's the toughest guy you've ever had to game plan for? Wow. Ooh. Whether it was, good you know, coach. whether your time's an assistant, as a head coach, as a player, like toughest guy you've ever had a game. plan Yeah. Before.
2: Yeah. So, work. um, I'll give you two. So as a player, um, when I was coming up in high school, um, uh, a player named J.R. Smith was at St. Mm. Benedict's
1: er- Earl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty
2: and I, uh, I have never been dunked on so hard as he got me on a fast break. I, I was, I knew he was very talented, but I did not know how athletic he was. I saw the bottom of his shoes. I essentially read the bottom of his shoes as he was hammering a dunk on a fast break. So J.R. Smith was was different. And then as a as a coach, um this guy at Cabrini, Aaron Walton Moss. Yeah. Oh
1: my God. So good.
2: Unbelievable. Dude. I remember um I was on that scout. We played them in the lead Eight the year we won uh the national championship. And I was on the scout and I'm I'm writing down and uh Walton Moss grabs a board and like first possession of the game just rips this lefty full court, one-handed, like B-line pass for a layup, in stride layup. So I'm on my scout. I, I put L lefty, right? He's gotta be lefty, he throws his ridiculous left pass. The next possession, he grabs another board, he rips it with his right hand, full court, bang, layup. <laughs> two assists, two boards, each hand is thrown, and I turn to Hicks, I take my headphones down. I'm like, coach, uh, we got a problem. <laughs> Uh, this kid is really good Like I don't know What we're gonna do I remember watching him play
1: Thinking like He was good enough To play at like, like And this was by the time He was a senior But like I remember thinking He was good enough To play at like LaSalle I was like This guy could be a, He could 100% play at Temple Like I, I was blown away By how good Aaron Walden Moss was And he was at Cabrini I was like Where, how, how did this happen
2: Totally he unbelievable. He, I mean, he, he could do everything. He he like averaged, he was like Russell Westbrook of Division Three. He averaged yeah. a triple double for like three years straight.
1: Yeah, that was exactly what I was thinking. I was like, how am I gonna say this? And people are gonna be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's division three was Like, no, like the dude averaged like 20, 12, and 10 for like yeah. three years in a row. It's ridiculous.
2: Yeah. Unbelievable. So stupid.
0: What would yeah. you do if uh you weren't a coach?
2: yeah uh so a uh, good question you know I taught for a little bit early that's a classic answer I think um like after I broke my leg, I really debated um, becoming an orthopedic surgeon for a long time uh, just because uh you know going through that experience it was like a big moment for me in my life and 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 changed a lot of things for me so uh, I debated that I was like already a junior hadn't gone pre-med and kind of got out of that relatively quickly but I think if I could have gone back I might have thought about uh, going that route, um, if I thought about it a little earlier. No,
0: oh, that's good. What would you change about college basketball?
2: Yeah, I think I. Uh, I just think it's silly that we're not all going four quarters, um, having fouls reset. Like the amount of times, you know, five early fouls just makes the half just slow down so much. Is is brutal. So I would I would say the four quarters, like really embrace those women's rules where we can advance the ball. Um, the fouls reset, all that stuff. And then uh, nothing, I hate nothing more than the block charge. It's just, I just want it gone. No blocks, no charges. Just get them both out of here. I couldn't, dis- I disagree with every block or charge when it's against us. And that's probably because I'm an idiot, but I just never think it's the right call. I it hate just,
1: that. it just kills me. And the smalls and I talked about this in Minneapolis, but like, and every ref late in a close game, they just want to call a charge so freaking bad. It's like, you you don't even know like it's almost like your guys are discouraged from driving because even if it is the cleanest block in the entire world, it's like refs just want to call charges. It's so frustrating.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. They do the double stamp. They throw the hammer out there. They you know put a little show on. Can't
1: I mean, if it. I was an official, I'd practice my charge call in the mirror. That's your time to shine. Like that's that's when you you know you get the most face time when you're just like throwing it. You know, it's so oh, stupid.
2: Hundred percent. It's like it's like a called third strike. Like <laughs> when you're an ump, when you just like really bring the heat. I would too. I would definitely.
0: I was literally just going to bring that up. There was an article in a study that came out from BU about third strikes and actually strikes and balls in general for umpires. And uh, I was thinking they should do that for block charge. But the problem is no one knows definitely what's the right call. Block <laughs> the charge, right. So they can't do the study. But I guarantee last two minutes, charges are up like 35%. And I just got uh, that number out. But yeah uh so pre game routine, any superstitions you have?
2: yeah, um, so I do a few things. I always work out on game day, some type of sweating um i I like dress at the same time, like shower at the same time, all that stuff, and then i always uh so we'll we'll do our little scout, send the guys out for warm up, and I'll stay in the um in the locker room and meditate for five minutes. I found when I start – again, this is my, like, nerdy Amherst side, but I found that I, when I started doing that, I was much less angry at the ref. So that was a very good thing. So I try to do that every game. And if I if I can't get that in, I definitely don't feel right, I, you know, just routine-wise if I don't do it the same time uh, – the same way every every game. Like, if we win, I will wear the same suit combination until we lose. Like, if we – if, like, I got a breakfast sandwich that day – you better believe the next game I'm getting the exact same breakfast sandwich from the same place uh, for that next game. It's a mindset. I love it. It's a mindset.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Most embarrassing moment as a coach.
2: Oh man. So um, I had to think about this one a little bit. So uh, kind of a funny story. When I was an assistant my last year with, with hammers um, we went on this trip, this drew Goucher um, combo trip. And we were, you know, we were, ranked in the top 25. We were supposed to win both games, and we were a little shorthanded that year as, as a staff. Uh, K-Hapa had just left for the D-League, and we were kind of just – usually we had two, three assistants. We only had me and uh, this guy Al, one of our older guys. So we're going in, and uh, we're playing Gouster. It's a close game. We end up winning in overtime. Uh, we hit a buzzer beater, win the game in overtime, and uh, Coach was, like, kind of quiet the whole game, and I was just, like, confused what was going on. And I got a bunch of text messages after the game, like, are you okay? And I was like, I didn't, I didn't really understand it. Uh, but I guess on film, I was like standing up. I was screaming. I was like really uh, energetic and engaged for the whole game. And to the point where Hicks almost like sat down. So I, he tells me one after the game that I'm not allowed to have uh, Pete's coffee before any other game. <laughs> uh, and, then he, and then I look at the tape and you can see him. I'm sitting to his right. You can see him with a finger in his right ear, like, <laughs> plugging so that he can't hear me because I'm too loud. And uh, that's when I stopped drinking uh, Pete's coffee and uh, and have moved on since then. But I looked at that tape. I was so embarrassed. I was like, he literally is trying his hardest to not hear me at all. Like, he he plugs his ear for the entire second half while he's sitting there like, just feel you know like scrunched down like will this kid just shut up why is he screaming like the scream for Um, screaming so yeah that was pretty embarrassing
0: that's awesome uh hidden talent do you have any
2: not really to be honest that was funny i was asking my wife like what's my hidden talent she came up with nothing last night so that's great um (laughs) but i do think if we got together and had like a decathlon of lawn games
0: oh that would
2: be pretty phenomenal like my core, i'm I, i'll I'll say this i'm i can throw a great bag like cornhole i i'm a great cornhole player
1: right? every single person i've ever met that's from close to north or south jersey or from philly and like goes to the jersey shore tells me they're the greatest cornhole player in america like it's it's unbelievable it's like like you said it's a regional thing like i'm a maryland guy born and raised and like I get to school at Temple, and all these people are like, Oh, yeah, I'm the greatest cornhole player in America. And I'm just like, Okay, somebody, I mean, somebody has to be. They have that on ESPN now, but
2: it's well, now just- I'm just a giant cliche. I appreciate that. <laughs> but what I will say is this What are the
1: other lawn games for you, Matt? Like, if you're doing a decathlon, we got yeah. cornhole. What else
0: you got? Great.
2: Love spike ball. Okay. Love spike ball. Like, you do a little, uh, uh the frisbee where you got the bottle. Oh, hey,
0: trash can, <laughs> can, can jam.
2: Can jam. Can jam's I love, awesome. So love can jam. There's a bottle just one like, that
0: you're talking about too, right? Where you get the top of the bottle and stuff. Yeah.
2: Yep. Where you try to hit the top of the bottle. You do a little bocce. Yes. A little croquet. I don't mind. And yes. all those things. I'm always down for a long game. I'm always down for a long game. And I will just say this about my Cornwall game. When I was at uh, Del Bar at the high school I was, te- I was coaching at, one of our players was the governor's son, Governor Chris Christie's son. And uh, we had a uh, barbecue at their house and I ripped up Governor Christie in Cornhole (laughs) to the point where, to the point where he tweeted about me. And this is, I think it's still in his his timeline somewhere, but he (laughs) tweeted about my Cornhole game on his, uh, on his Twitter feed which was unbelievable.
0: Oh man. <laughs> then we we got to see this. So there is we do have like a little cornhole beach tournament for charity uh that we might attend. I might attend at least this year. So maybe we'll have to bring you down because uh our buddy Dustin Vanderslice uh you know claims the title here. So there's just <laughs> a lot of Jersey guys going back his dad is better than him. He well, their their team. So but yeah. they are they are very good. Be Although we
1: were Serena- in we were all in. We were all in Austin, and and uh, they had a big loss against like some random group of guys. We're in the back of some bar. It was Smalls and Distant. They got in like an argument
0: on the cornhole boards against some like random group of dudes from like I don't even know where they were from. He was, was like, not. He was not being as serious as I needed him to be, <laughs> <laughs> and I got super pissed off and upset. And you know, we got a little scream match, and then you know, Austin, Texas, sweated it out. But uh, we did that. We're All good. That. <laughs> Two future podcast guests for us.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, one guy, uh, he was an assistant when I played up at, at Amherst, and he's doing an unbelievable job at, at Rochester. Luke Fikertzi, uh really, really high-level coach, knows his stuff, uh, offensively, like really gifted mind, just just awesome. And then another guy, actually, uh, we were rivals. He was an assistant at Williams for a while, but now he's at uh, Swanee, Mick Hedgepass. Uh, had a great year this year. We've worked a bunch of camps together, and he's awesome. Great dude. Um, and he played at Belmont. And like, again, like the things he, he picked up there, uh, he's really good coach. He's going to have a great career. I think he, you know, getting a little Southern uh, flair in here wouldn't be a bad thing. He's, uh, he's really good at what he does.
1: Yeah, and then we just got to figure out a way to get Andrew Wilson on the show, too. Like, that guy just gets mentioned a bunch. You know, that that's one that we we got to figure out, even if he's going to give us 10 minutes. Because, you know, when you work in the NBA, you can't reveal any of your
0: secrets. Yeah, I also guess. want to know how many guys he told. He's like, just give me the ball. Like, he probably yeah. told everyone on was, the team. He, he, was, he was like, National putting... Player of the Year yeah. two
1: years in a row, Smalls. He should have told everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah he probably did. Ball. Freshman year, he was probably like, I'm <laughs> going to go to everyone systematically and put it in their
2: minds. I was totally going to throw out Olsen, but at the same time, I know that he would not reveal any secrets. He would be so close to the chest.
1: (laughs) Obviously. Uh, All right, last segment, uh, parting shot. Same two questions to every guest. I got the first one. What's the best advice you've ever been given?
2: Yeah, um, I think a big piece. And I heard this when I first started uh, in uh, alumni development and teaching at a high school. And then uh, Coach Hickson kind of said the same thing, is, is just show up, like just be there. Uh, It's so simple, but I think it's so important. If you're just there, if you're, you know, like when you're a division three coach and you can't schedule time with your guys, if you're in the office with an open door and facilitating that, uh, you know, having that open door policy and having people show up, like you're just going to build a better culture, better relationships with your guys. And I remember, um, you know, when I was an alumni in development, I was the young alum and my boss, you know, uh, he was really influential in my life. And And he always said, Listen, like your job is to go take out these young alums and go out all night long with them. Do whatever you need to do. But you can do anything. You can charge this, you can do that, whatever. But you got to show up the next day. Just come in, just show up the next day and be here. And the more you can be there, I think like I was one of the better things I did at Amherst. I just, if I wasn't in class, I was always in the office. And suddenly you start these conversations with your coach that you would never have if you weren't in there when he thought of that idea or. Or, or was debating this coverage or whatever. So show up, just show up. I think it's, it's it's so simple, but I often think it's overlooked too. It's just such a simple thing, but it helps so much uh, long-term.
0: 100% agree with that. Face to face with your 24-year-old self, what are you telling that person?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, this is like an old like Kevin Eastman classic, but just say yes to every opportunity you have. Cause you never know what happens. Like my network is bigger because of like working camps and was I making a lot of money at these camps? No, not really. But, but I became really close with a ton of coaches via the camp uh, you know, camp track and just showing up and saying yes to to more opportunities. Like you have an opportunity to, to speak at a camp that has eight kids, like just drive your hours and give a talk on shooting because you're going to get better at talking about shooting, even though it's eight random kids at this small gym in wherever. So uh, just say yes and and do all that stuff. I think, you know, for me, you know, uh, not anymore, but I think when I was younger, it was like, oh, like, is this, would that be worth my time or would this be worth my time? And I think just saying yes to all of it, You know, that's a big reason why like I got connected into USA basketball and and uh, had had some great experiences with that. It was just like, oh, we need somebody to do the laundry. All right, cool. I'm in. Like, you want me to do towels, laundry? I'll get you like you want water. It's going to be ice cold. Let's do this. Like, I will get that water for you.
1: And I I do think, too, one thing just for younger guys that might listen to this, there is also a shelf life on being able to say yes, because if you say no too many times, like, you're not going to get asked again. So you might pass up on opportunities. And then as you get older and you get married and you have a family, you're not able to say yes to a ton of things as well, or, or you're able to say less to less, say yes to less things than you were before. So I do think like that advice for young guys, like if you really want to make it in this profession, whatever you want to do, whether, you know, you want to take the three track, you want to make it a division one, like if you're saying no to things, it's going to be really, it's going to be a lot harder for you. So I think that advice is unbelievable, Matt. I really, really do.
2: Totally. And it's like you go to all these coaches clinics and guys are always like, "Yo, if you ever want to come down to wherever we have open practices, it's like, well, I don't have a kid. So why don't I call that guy up and go down to whatever practice and go do it? Because like I can go make that move and travel and go see that practice now, whereas in two years, maybe I can't.
1: And the one thing too is like, and and we make jokes about this all the time, but like most coaches, like they want to talk about themselves. Like it's just kind of how it works. So like you go down to an open practice, maybe, maybe you go to like, let's, let's just make an example. Maybe you go to Rutgers, right. And you're sitting there, it's like a day over the summer. And then like Steve Peichel comes and sits down and talks to you for like 25 minutes. And you, you know, if you never go there, you never get that interaction. He doesn't know your name. Like, and then all of a sudden, like he sees and he's like, Oh, Matt Goldsmith. Like, I know that guy, like good dude. Like, and you cultivate that type of relationship. And I think people, they just assume like, oh, I'm too afraid, like, or or I don't want to do this. It's too much out of the way. And I'm not going to get an opportunity to learn from it. And maybe you don't that one day. But I, I agree with you, like, you, you get those opportunities, and you have to take them when you can. And I think that's really, really important.
2: I don't want to bother this guy, whatever it might be. It's like, no, like, even for me, I, I love like when a you, you said it, like, if a little, if a middle school coach wants to come to our practice, I'll be stoked. I'll get a chair out, I'll that's talk great. to them. like, we're shooting free throws, and I'm like, what'd you think of that drill? Like, this is great, that's, blah, blah, blah. That's exactly
1: right. I mean, mine might have been a little bit more of a negative connotation, but I didn't mean it as that. I just think, like, guys love talking hoops. Like, that's yeah. the one, like, equalizer in this profession. Like, the, the same thing between, like, you know, Jim Beheim at a clinic, and then, like, a random high school coach is like, that the basketball is that bond. Like, hey, Beheim's not the right guy. He's a little grumpy, but you, you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Yes. Uh, but anyway we'll get out of here because like i said it, it is easter sunday and we do appreciate your time he is at coach m goldsmith on twitter also at tc mbb that is the college of new jersey for people who have been wondering what acronym we've been using as bad journalism by me but matt we appreciate all your time this morning i we didn't even get into the usa basketball or like goldsmith basketball academy so we might have to do this again in, in a couple months but I really appreciate it, and like I said, everybody. Smalls, Matt, tell your families thank you for letting us do this on on Easter Sunday because I know it was kind of a little bit of an inconvenience.
2: No doubt, appreciate it, fellas. Thanks for having me. I, I'm 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 down anytime you guys need uh, a little extra guest. I'd I'd love to get jump in.
1: All right, awesome. We'll talk soon, man.